You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast with Pastor Rick Francis. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. We've been looking ever since Pentecost at the early development of what the Holy Spirit's activity was upon the earth with the early church as we refer to it. Uh, the disciples that met in the, in the room, the 120 that were praying and the day of Pentecost that came. And then we see the incredible manifestation of Peter's full reinstatement and healing of the trauma of having denied the Lord three times and standing and preaching in such a way that 3,000 folks uh, come into the kingdom. And, and th then we see kind of a conclusion <clears throat> at that, that they devoted themselves to the, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And that's just kind of a, a summary statement uh, at the end of chapter two to just let us know huh, this, is, this is a way of life in the kingdom. This is what believers who've received Jesus and acknowledged his resurrection and his lordship over our lives, it's what they experience, it's how they live. And so we come and we, we continue to be taught by the Lord, continue to be taught by the Holy Spirit. We, we continue to have the fellowship and the connection uh, with one another. <clears throat> and we continue to, to celebrate the Lord's table, uh, the, the Holy Communion as just a, an incredible release of the grace of God into our lives personally, and then to prayer. And so chapter three begins at the, at, at the time of prayer, they're heading into the temple, <clears throat> and that's where they come across this 40-year-old beggar who's always put at the gate, beautiful, looking to get alms as people are, are going into the temple to pray. It's a good place to get your, your sign need food, need money, put it right there. As you're praying to the Most High God, remember the poor. Oh, put a Bible verse on your little placard, you know. And, <clears throat> and uh, thinking that he's going to get something from Peter and John, he gets, he gets something, all right. Uh, but it's not the silver and gold. He gets a supernatural healing. And that begins at that little event at the time of prayer begins this whole next in chapters three and four, this whole development of what happens as his healing makes such a huge stir in the temple area, but then it's known all through Jerusalem because it goes over two days. And so we see what happens. We see the, the imprisonment, uh, the jail, the night, night in jail that John and, and Peter have to spend. And as, as they're going through all of that, it's just bringing us up to an opportunity for the Holy Spirit once again to fall upon Peter and John as they minister in the religious uh, court of Jerusalem and they declare once again, it's in the mighty name of Jesus whom you crucified, but God raised that this man stands fully healed of his lameness. And they can't figure out what to do with him, so they have to set him free. They threaten him. So what do you do when you get threatened? Well, we see what they do is they pay no attention. 
they go right into the gathering of believers and they start sharing the testimony of all that the Lord has done, everything that has transpired. And in the sharing of the testimony, it moves them into prayer. And as they pray, we're going to pick up once again at verse 30, 31, I mean, of chapter 4. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There was no needy person among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he had owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We say it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It knows how to divide between the joint and the marrow. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to quicken the word of God within our hearts, our minds, our spirit, and our bodies. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing and what you're saying to the church today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. After they prayed. Well, what did they pray? What exactly was the prayer that they had just prayed that brought this manifestation that is quite remarkable. It says in verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, consider their threats. We've been threatened. We've been threatened by the religious leaders who represent you to the people here on planet Earth. And they're they're threatening us from speaking in the name of Jesus and declaring the resurrection. So, enable. I love this. When, whenever you see the word enable, if I could, if I could get you to associate with the word enable with the Holy Spirit. He is the great enabler. Now, this isn't in the 12-step program uh, with addictions that someone's enabling someone to stay in their addiction. This is an enablement that helps us to get beyond where we are. The Holy Spirit is the enabler. He is the the source, the power. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he's other than us. But when he comes within us, he releases divine enabling grace to choose, to live, to speak, to do different than what we would normally do just by our natural abilities. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So their prayer is, we need the Holy Spirit. We've just been threatened. Everything in our natural man is afraid that they're going to do to us what they did to Jesus. They're going to kill us. And my flesh doesn't like death. It doesn't want to court pain and suffering. So Lord, 
Enable us so that we can keep speaking and not shrink back because of fear, the fear of punishment, the fear of what the religious people could do to us. And so they're praying that, that we can speak your word with great boldness. And the third thing that they pray is that the Lord would stretch out his hand, stretch forth your hand to heal. Anybody want to see healing? Do we have a need for more healing on the earth today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can he heal cancer? Absolutely. Can he heal allergies? Absolutely. Can he heal a headache? He can. Is there anything he can't heal? Hmm how to connect and partner and come in alignment with his healing, wonderful purposes for us is somewhat of a mystery. It's something that gets revealed out of intimacy and closeness and nearness with him. And so one of the keys is is to get as close to the Lord Jesus as you possibly can and then get closer. And once you've done everything you can to get closer, then get closer. And once you've done everything you know to do to get closer, then get closer. Because there is no amount of intimacy that he will restrict us to. He is constantly inviting us to know more of him, to know more of him, to know more of him. In heaven, (laughs) they're still learning more of him. Forever and ever, we will continue to grow in our intimate relationship with him. We will understand his beauty. Now on this earth, we've got the whole sin problem and the lies and the deceptions of an adversary that is constantly trying to to make a good God look bad. And he's trying to always connect what happens that is hurtful, painful, those things that call us suffering, and he's always trying to connect it to the will of God. As well, if God didn't want you to suffer, he wouldn't have allowed it. Baloney. It's just not true. God's will is that you would never suffer. We do suffer, but it's not his will. Sometimes we don't understand how we align ourselves and we restrict the wonderful goodness of God in our own personal lives. But we do it. We can blame it on the devil because he's usually the one that's feeding us the lies that we we agree with. He's the one that's usually suggesting that uh, we probably should just settle because this is as good as it gets. And I'm just gonna have this pain and difficulty until the day I die. And if it's a thorn in the flesh, you may, you may have something that you have to put up with. But if you have something that you have to put up with, guess what? He gives you a supernatural grace to put up with it. You never have to put up with it in the natural. You, you always have divine resources at your disposal to appropriate to help you in whatever pain and difficulty life is throwing your way. The enemy's alive. And he's doing everything he can 
to undo the intimacy that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit longs for us to know. <clears throat> so stretch out your hand to heal, Lord, and do it today. Then to stretch out your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders. Yeah. Sometimes it's not so much that uh, there's something that's ailing in our body that needs to be fixed. Sometimes we, need, we just need something miraculous to happen. We need for him to show up in a sign and a wonder in a miracle where he takes something that isn't and makes it alive. He makes it so. So come on, Lord, stretch forth your hand to perform miraculous signs and wonders. You know why we don't see many signs and wonders in the earth today? We don't believe. We, we really don't. In our Western educated way, we, we've come to the place where if it can't be explained scientifically, if there isn't some kind of evidence that we can say this is the cause and this is the effect and we can rationally understand it, we don't know how to really work with that. We have an intellectual assent that we believe in miracles. Would everybody say that you believe in miracles today? Everybody believe in miracles? We, we believe in miracles, yeah. <clears throat> and there's a difference between having an understanding and a faith and a theology that says, I believe in miracles, than having an experience that says, I absolutely know miracles happen. Miracles are not even an issue for me anymore. Miracles are 100% true from the Lord. Now, all of us have some measure of faith to believe that there is miracles because our salvation is one of the greatest miracles of all. And so we have that to always look back on and say, that is true. But the enemy will whisper, but that's in the spiritual realm. In the natural realm, the miraculous doesn't happen as often as it does in the spiritual realm. Well, you know, he's, he's kind of right on that because it happens in the spiritual before it manifests in the natural. He's really given us a good heads up. Pray for your miracle in the spirit until the Holy Spirit has brought the assurance that it's about to take place and then step out. Do you know that almost every miracle, every act takes a, a measure of some kind of manifestation of faith. You have to take a step. And it's like when you take a step, your faith and your body and your whole being kind of comes together. And when you take a step, led by the Spirit, you have just positioned yourself for heaven to be released in power. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, a lot of times we say, Lord, I really need this. I want this. I believe you want it for me. I, I want it, you know, and I pray and I ask, and then I step out in faith, and nothing happens. I thought if I stepped out in faith, it would happen. There's a little bit of a, a dynamic that we miss here, and that's when the Holy Spirit has borne witness with your spirit that it is coming, that you step out. When we presume and we step out, 
you know, sometimes it happens. And sometimes it doesn't happen. And we don't quite understand the whole dynamic of how the Spirit, but the more we, the more we enter into the realm of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the more it becomes clear. And we see the little glitches where the, uh, the enemy deceives us or he snags us or our fear or our little mustard seed faith goes absent. And it's like, what happened? I had a mustard seed faith here just a minute ago. And that's all it takes to move a mountain, right? You read your Bible? Mustard, faith, size of a mustard seed will move a mountain. Okay. How do we do this? We don't. We live in relationship to the one who does it. And it's as we become lost in our love relationship with Jesus, as we become so secure in our Father's love, when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is our guide, the Holy Spirit is our counselor, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside us and comforts us and speaks to us and reveals the glories of Jesus, all that he said and did, as the Holy Spirit does that, then we get to know and we get to understand more and more the greater reality of the spiritual realm. Huh. Now the problem is there's spiritual fruitcakes out there. Whoa. Have you ever met a spiritual fruitcake? Hmm? <laughs> I've met spiritual fruitcakes and some of them I've judged way prematurely and their behavior was really weird to me, just totally weird to me. But their hidden relationship with the Lord was something that I didn't know. They had something in their relationship with the Lord that I didn't have. I could have theology and I could have good understanding and exegete the scripture, but I didn't have the encounter. I didn't have the experience that they had. And so my faith was always restricted to what I knew and the Lord is so much beyond what we know. All of a sudden, if, if our ability to encounter and to experience what is the true reality of heaven that we're supposed to be praying on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If, if, if I'm doing that and that is restricted to what I know in all my education, guess what? That's pitiful. God is so much bigger than that. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to have a degree in theology to have an encounter and experience with the one who will reveal the spirit realm to you. That's the amazing thing about the kingdom. It's, it's whoever will come. And it's an invitation for all of us to come because when we meet him, guess what? We start to see what he knows. And when we see what he knows, we, we develop an ability to trust in what he says and what he has done. And as that continues to germinate and build within us, we move from one level of glory to another level of glory. There is a constant movement towards a greater growth in each one of us. Now the problem is what happens when we get stuck? Usually we get stuck at a point of disappointment, discouragement, something didn't happen the way we thought it should. God let us down. We lost face. 
Uh, we prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. And so now we throw away prayer for, for healing people. We have all sorts of stuff that gets us stunted. And it's never been designed to be that way. It's always been designed that we go from infancy to toddlerhood to young childhood to young man, young woman, to adult, to seasoned saint. That's a nice way to put it for Jim and Ada. A seasoned saint as, as we go. And we should be growing. At any point when we think that we've known all, we, we've got enough, we can coast to the finish line, we've missed. We've been deceived, we've been duped. We've missed on the more of the Holy Spirit and what he has for us. Oh, I, I want to encourage you today. I hope this isn't coming across as discouragement, but encourage us. Because I, I keep getting flabbergasted. Every time I think I've really arrived, I find out that I'm still in kindergarten and I don't know squat. When I think I've understood the grace and the mercy of God, <clears throat> I liken it to going to my little neighborhood, uh, what do you call those, uh, runoff ponds, where the, all the neighborhood's supposed to come, and, and so you got a little, and they throw some fish in there and stuff like that, and I go fish in it, and, and here of late I haven't caught a thing. And it's almost like we think that's, that's all there is. This little body of water is, is all the water and all the fish in the world. And we hadn't even realized that there's great lakes. We don't even realize that there's oceans. And all of a sudden the spirit starts showing us things and we start to see that there's a whole lot more than what I thought there was. And if you don't get anything today, whatever you think you know, there is so much more than that. There is so much more than that. And if, if, if the, the criteria by which you judge and make and evaluate what you know, if it all lines up in your Western mind, I pray that today you get a revelation and that the Holy Spirit sets you free from the limitations of experiencing and knowing God only with what you can understand. Because some of this stuff, I don't understand it but I know he understands it. I understand that he is good and he's always good. And when I understand his goodness, then I can trust the things that I don't understand. He will give revelation as it's necessary or as, as needed for me to be able to cooperate more fully with what he's wanting to do. So this is the prayer that they pray. You know, stretch out your hand to heal, to perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. It's not some kind of Gnostic knowledge. It's not some kind of super revelation that comes. It's always out of relationship with the person of Jesus. In, in the Hebrew, the name of Jesus represents the person of Jesus. The name and the person are one and the same. And so it's through Jesus that all the miraculous, all the healing, all the supernatural activity happens. And Jesus has given us another just like himself. He calls it the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. 
the one who's been called to you to walk alongside you. So if you're, if you're suffering from boredom, it's time to upgrade. It's really time for a, a Holy Spirit upgrade of what is yours in Christ Jesus. What happens next? The place is shaken. <laughs> Everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. Key, everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit. A lot of our frustration comes directly by the amount of fullness of the Holy Spirit that we have. And here's, here's a dangerous prayer. I want you to be dangerous today. Pray, Lord, I want everything you want to give me, I want to receive. Everything that the Holy Spirit wants to release to me, I want to receive. Pray that prayer, and that will get you kicked out of your denomination. You know, pray that prayer, and it will make you a little disoriented. Because he's got good gifts that he wants to give us. And, and I love Luke's translation. How much more will he give us the Holy Spirit? He will continue to pour out his spirit without limit without measure. He wants us to receive the fullness of his spirit. I love that. The place is shaken. I'm praying that the place here gets shaken. I just don't want any more ceiling tiles to fall out. But uh, please shake it. Shake it, Lord. Shake the places that we meet. Shake it in the spirit, but let the spirit be the forerunner of what happens in the natural. Shake it, Lord. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit is manifested in how we speak and live. How do we talk? It's really hard to be full of the Holy Spirit and then scream at your spouse because they forgot to put the liner in the trash can. You know, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, guess what? You've got love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. You've got all, you got all of that stuff being poured in you. It changes how you see things. It changes how you speak. It changes how you relate. If someone's not treating you well, just say, I think you need more of the Holy Spirit. And then say, I think I need more of the Holy Spirit or I wouldn't have noticed that they need more of the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> if I have more of the Holy Spirit, whatever they say is not going to bother me because it's not coming from the Lord. So, you know, we get caught both ways, don't we? Mm -hmm. Lord, speak. Speak the word of God boldly. This is in the context of sharing the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fear that in doing so, it was going to cost them their lives. So this was more than just witnessing at McDonald's. This was kind of, uh, if I speak up, I could, I could spend the rest of my life in prison or be executed for the name. And the Lord answers that prayer and they go out and they speak boldly. They turn the whole world upside down. Mm. So what kind of fruit, what kind of result, what happens? In the next verse it says, and all the believers were one in heart and mind. There was a oneness, there was a connection in that community, in that fellowship that just astounds all of history. 
Never in, in the history of mankind has there been such a oneness, such a, such a representation of what God had in his heart when he created Adam and Eve in the garden. And he put them in this utopian garden situation so that they could, they could uh, steward the world and rule over as God's under rulers. They were one in heart and mind. There was a connection and intimacy within that community. It was manifested in that no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. Yeah. It redefined what ownership was. A lot of times intellectually and theologically we can say, everything that I have belongs to God. But if you want it, over my dead body. You know, no, 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 no. They understood everything belonged to God. And they understood that the things that they were blessed to receive, they realized that that wasn't theirs to possess. It was theirs to steward. And so now ownership gets redefined biblically, spiritually, as I don't own anything. I have a stewardship of everything that has been trusted to me. Hmm. And they shared everything they had. Hmm. I don't know if you remember when the toddlers are starting to learn their toys. And it's like, mine, mine, no, mine. <laughs> I think of that every time I read the scripture. You know, they shared everything. And it's like, oh, sweetie, we, we're going to share with little Billy. We're going to share our toys. Mine, mine, you know. It's kind of ingrained from the very, from our very youngest moments. It's mine. And it's like learning to share is miraculous. Especially if you've grown up and you haven't had stuff and now you start to get a little bit of stuff. And it's like we want to hold on to that and not let anyone have it. The illustration that I always think of is, is uh, kind of a, a Norman Rockwell type of painting um, of a church picnic, of a church picnic. And, and there's a new little orphan that's come into the church, you know, and his parents aren't in church, but he told his mom that they were going to have a church picnic and he's supposed to take, you know, sack lunch. So she made him some peanut butter and jelly and put it in there. And so he had his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And and one of, the, one of the mothers in the church, one of the spiritual mothers in the church, saw the little boy coming with his little brown bag and said, little Johnny, why don't you just come and bring yours and we'll put it together with ours. And she had this huge picnic basket with fried chicken, mashed potatoes, corn, green beans, uh, all the good stuff, little apple pie. And she says, just join us. You put yours in with ours and we'll just share it all together. Sound like a good deal? He said, no, you're not getting my peanut butter jelly sandwich. You know, and it's like, oh my stars. Is that like us or what? God says, why don't you come and we'll just put all our resources together. All my resources with all your resources. We'll just put it all together and we'll see if we can make do. And we say, no, you're not getting my 10%. I know how those churches work. That's all they want is money. 
Oh no, hold on, we're, we're missing the point. It's an invitation to share in the plethora of resources of the Father. It's all that he has for us and we see it manifested in the early community of the body of Christ. <laughs> they shared everything they had because they knew their dad had everything. And there was never going to be lack because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There was such confidence in God's ability to provide that they didn't even worry about it. <laughs> and with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. There was, a, there was something in the beauty of the love between the believers that just brought heaven's attention. And I believe there was probably angelic releases who came with power to set captives free, to release healing, to bring mighty works of the Lord to pass. And it says, much grace was upon them all. And that's what I titled today. What happens when much grace is on everyone? When much grace is on everyone, we realize that we're all started somewhere and we're growing and we're developing. And it's not a competition and it's not a rivalry. We rejoice with each one as we continue to grow and to develop. We, we celebrate 14 years of sobriety. We thank God for that. The one that has never been addicted to alcohol or drugs one day of their life can celebrate 14 years. We celebrate one month. We celebrate a week. We celebrate a day. We celebrate whatever development and growth is taking place because much grace was upon them all. When there's not grace upon a fellowship, we get critical of one another. We compare ourselves with one another. We oftentimes consider ourselves above others or we consider ourselves below others. And both is just as wrong. Huh. Much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. Wow. Wow. We got needy people here? Oh, yeah, we do. Should we have needy people here? Well, I think the Bible's kind of insinuating, it's kind of throwing out a massive hint that maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't. How do we love? How do we receive the much grace individually so that we'll have more than enough to share? with those around us. Hmm. Well, how did it work? That there was no needy people. It said from the general statement that there was no needy, now they show us how that happened. It said from time to time. It didn't say it was mandatory of everyone but when the Holy Spirit is orchestrating and the Holy Spirit's leading and the community is, is coming in the oneness with one another and with the Lord, it said from time to time, not everybody, but from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them. That's how there was no needy people. 
the ones that had sold what they had as the spirit led. And as they did, they were able to give to the ones that had need. Interesting. They brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. They had, a, they had such an understanding that everything was the Lord's and that they were the Lord's and that the Lord was going to provide that they, they had no strings attached to anything they gave. They gave it to the Lord, laid it at the apostles' feet, knowing that the apostles would distribute it according to the heart of the Father. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Some people get nervous. They think this is communism. They get all excited and all this. No, this is, this is kingdom. This is kingdom community. This is kingdom community. I see this happen out at Bethel Church in Redding, California. I don't know how many times uh, I've, I've seen Pastor Bill Johnson in the middle of a service before the sermon, after the worship and everything that's going on, and he'd just say, I want all the single parents, all the single mothers to stand, okay? It's time to go back to school. Has all the single mothers stand. And he says, if there's a single mother around you, would you ask the Holy Spirit what you should do? And I want you to give money to all the single moms today. And the testimonies that come through Mothers who didn't know how they were going to get shoes for the kids for school, clothes, book packs, you know, all the school supplies. And a lot of churches, I, I just love a lot, of, a lot of our vineyard churches and, and other churches in the area, they go out and they buy backpacks and they get all the school supplies and they let it know, be known that school supplies are here and kids come and, and they get their supplies. Just amazing. Wow. That is a representation of what I think is biblically being talked about here in this passage of Scripture. That those that have need, that there's something that happens in the community of faith to help meet that need. For us to see a brother in need and say, go, be warm, be clothed, be fed, and not do anything is not the kingdom. It is not the love of the Father. So having said that, they get a little more specific. And now the scripture kind of zeroes in on one person, and his name is Joseph. And it looks at the life of Joseph and how he, as a member of the community of faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, one with heart and mind with the body of believers, didn't have the ownership dynamic in his heart, and wanted to share, and he saw that there was need. And so Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, what do you know about Levites? One of the tribes. They're, they're the, priest, the priestly tribe? And how much land do they have? Zero. They don't have any land, but he's living in Cyprus, He's got land. <laughs> Interesting. He's a Levite who's got land. <laughs> it goes on, his, his, 
His name that the apostles call him is, is Barney. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Uh, have you ever had a little child that just brought uh, the warmth of the sun to you and you call it my little sunshine? There's my little sunshine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what they were doing with Barnabas. There's our little sunshine. <laughs> he was an encourager and the apostles loved the encouragement this, this man brought. He sold a field that he owned. It could be that he owned it in, in, in the promised land, but I think he probably owned it in Cyprus. Don't know, doesn't say in the scripture, but he sold the field and he brought the money. He brought the money. We get a contrast here from here in chapter five. He brought all the money. He sold the field, he brought all the money, and he brought it to the apostles. Unlike Ananias and Sapphira, who said they brought all the money, but held some of it back. Now mind you, you can say, I'm giving you 80%, I kept 20% back. I don't think you'll die. Don't think you'll die. But when you say, I give you 100% and you kept 20% for yourself, you're in a community of truth and love and unity and oneness that is bringing through it the supernatural demonstration of heaven to earth, signs and wonders and miracles and healings. Yeah. And so Joseph put it at the apostles' feet. He brought all of it, put it there. So we see in the early part of Acts, it going from the super amazing, supernatural, spiritual, miraculous healings, uh, phenomena, uh, all the different ways in which the kingdom invades this earth to all of a sudden the very practical of what are we gonna have for dinner? It gets really specific to the daily needs of the everyday believer. Mm. Signs and wonders to what's for dinner, <laughs> the practical needs of the community, it's real love and it's real unity, and there were no needy people, no needy persons. Mm. I just love to see growth. I love to see us grow and develop. And when I look at this, you know, the enemy would say, well, gosh, Rick, your church is never gonna get there. They're, they're selfish, they're not gonna give. They, they won't even tithe. What are you, they're never gonna get there. He's just whispering all that. And, I, and I'm just saying, you know what? We're celebrating that we're moving. We're developing, we're growing. It's not, are we there yet? No, it's, hey, guess what? We're on the way. We're on the path. We are growing, we know more than we knew, and we love more than we did, and we are yielded more to the Holy Spirit than we were, and we're just gonna continue to take the baby steps that we need to take, and in the end, we'll be right where we're supposed to be. It's not about measuring ourselves with a, with a supernatural standard that looks unattainable. I say it's attainable. It's absolutely attainable. But we gotta take the steps that we need to take so that we can get there. And so we need to continue to take the steps. Did you hear Ken Goodwin's exhortation last Sunday? 
That I think that was from the Lord. Ken, correct me if I'm wrong, but he says there's something here tangibly of the Lord in our worship and in our community that others outside need to know and experience. And they don't know and experience, and we need to invite them. We need to invite our family and our friends and our neighbors to come because there's something tangible of the Lord here that would be a blessing to them, that would serve them, that would cause them to know something. I, I think he's dead on. I think he's right on. I just think, okay, so let's, let's go and let's continue to take our baby steps and say, thank you, Lord, for encouraging us through exhortation last week. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to encourage us that you have power to heal cancer. You have power to heal a hangnail. You have power to heal the something that we think is a mountain and something that we think is a molehill. And he has the power to do both. He has the power to bring oneness and love within us as brothers and sisters. He has the power to change our perception of our stuff. He has the power to take an American whose foundation is built on materialism and move us beyond just the material reality of this world and bring us into the true reality of his world to where he owns it all and we can trust him to do everything that he says he'll do. Is that good? Yes. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.